I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like, I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show. We have David Harsanyi with us now of The Federalist. He's a phenomenal columnist and actually uh, proofread my first ever attempt at a column when I was a writer at The Blaze, which he may not even remember now, but he was very encouraging and very helpful. Mr. Harsanyi, good to have you on the program, sir. Thanks for having me. It just hit me how long I know you. What's that, 15 years ago or something, right? Yep, we're when going, we were th- I think, yeah. 13 years. We've known each other for 13 years. So you you and I go way back to the, uh, the early days of the... Um, of the blaze uh, phenomenon. Now, tell me this, David. Um, there's been there's all this back and forth. Now, when people see this or listen to this or both, they will already know what the reality is of um, the Trump showing up in New York City situation. As you and I talk, we're not quite sure what that is going to look like because we're um, we're recording in advance of it, just so everyone knows. But one part of it that has already come out very clearly is if you talk about Alvin Bragg as a Soros-funded DA, they go back and forth between one saying that that's not true, which is really, they're just lying, basically, but it comes through a third party that put the money out there. But put that aside. The the other part of this is that it is anti-Semitic to say that Soros is giving money to people that he gave money to. Right. So there's two, two facets to this. One is they say, well, Soros doesn't actually back them because he gave seven million to a pack and that pack only gave Alvin Bragg, uh, Bragg one million, right? Or whatever, whatever the number was, right. which is a new, completely new standard, which, you know, we would, we wouldn't be able to say that half the people out there who are, um, funding political causes are funding them in that way because the money's laundered. It's not laundered, but you know what I mean? It's, it's given out by PACs, not exactly by the individual. Um, Soros even said, I never met him. Can you imagine if that was the standard of saying someone back something, someone you had to see them, you know, give a bag of money to the person in a picture, you know, shaking hands, so on. So that's a ridiculous part. But the second part is much more nefarious. It's that you cannot talk about George Soros without being accused of being anti-Semitic. 
as if George Soros is a stand-in for the Jewish community in some way. Well, first off, first of all, he doesn't care about the Jewish community at all. He said in, six, in a 60 Minutes interview years ago that he doesn't really even identify as a Jewish person, A. Uh, B, he funds BDS through you know, his PACs, which is an anti-Semitic organization. He doesn't care about Israel. He doesn't care about Jews. He's a leftist. That's his identity. That's his religion. And uh, but moreover, the idea that you can't um, be critical of the top uh, benefactor for left, hard left causes, the top benefactor of any political causes in America. I think he dropped like 140 million last year in an off, you know, not even in a presidential year is very convenient and re- very ridiculous. I've always said it's amazing how the left has plenty of billionaires, but their billionaires are good people who we should all be thankful are funding like media matters and, you know, funding these uh, trash political attack organizations all across the NGO spectrum and, you know, and wacko environmentalists. But those billionaires like billionaires with a B, but with a big B, those are the bad billionaires. Right. But we hear so much about the, the Koch brothers and not as much these days, I guess, but uh, you know, there's this pretense that the, the billionaire class, their money all goes to conservative politics. This is kind of like how they also tell everybody that Wall Street is somehow Republican. These are just un- this is just an untrue reality that or, you know, an untrue perception that the Democrats have entirely manufactured. I mean, like Obama and Hillary and Biden got a vast majority of Wall Street money. Yeah. When they say dark money, they mean dark money from Republicans. They don't mean yeah. dark money from the, the all the executives at all these sort of investment firms that are, all, I think polls show like 90% of them give to Dem- Democrats, not, not to Republicans. And I should mention when Republicans had uh, Sheldon Adelson, who was a huge donor to like pro-Israel politicians, the Washington Post, the New York Times, they have no problem saying Sheldon Adelson backed candidate or cause. And no one accused them of being anti-Semitic for doing so, even though those issues actually related to Jewish causes, if you know what I mean. Um, but, but of course, again, everything's Calvin Ball. Everything changes. It all depends. But you hit on a very important point, I think. They don't, it's almost as if they don't view their causes as political. It's just common sense. It's just the right thing to do. Yeah. You know, no, it's not, let's not politicize this thing. You know, let's save the environment. Let's, you know, stop guns, let, you know, whatever their causes, they view it as just common sense and not political. Whereas what you want or I want is politicizing. It's culture war. It's, you know, it, it, all these sort of negative connotations to them. Do you think that the, the, um, journalists or what, whatever we call people now who write for these publications that are, uh, very clearly political, even though they, they pretend to just be, you know, the facts and the news. Do you think that when they deploy the anti-Semitic charge, about whether it's Ron DeSantis talking about Soros back DA. It's, fa- it's fascinating. Soros came up with this whole plan that he has spoken about at length in interviews, and there are financial records of him realizing that there's this weak seam in the system, in a sense, where you can buy a DA's race with very little money. Because who wants to buy a DA's race? Was the, That was, now people all know why, but that was the thinking, right? And so he has this whole plan, and now to talk about his plan... They say, oh, well, that's that's anti-Semitic. Um, and, and yet, do you think the people that are saying that, the different chattering class individuals are saying that, do they know it's bad faith and they just don't care? Or do you think that they 
really believe at some, like they've convinced themselves that in this case, talking about objective reality just happens to be anti-Semitic when it involves George Soros. Could be both. I'm not sure. I, I'm, I'm sure that some of it's cynical, um, but you know, some of it, maybe people have convinced themselves that all, like, let me take a step back. Why would Ron DeSantis, who is the governor of Florida, which has a large Jewish community, and he's been pro-Israel, pro-Jewish, he's only had good things to say about Jews and all that, uh, start peddling anti-Semitic dog whistles? What, what's, what would the point of it be? In their warped mind, the point of it is that all Republicans are basically just, you know, Nazis underneath it all, and they hate Jews underneath it all, and they're racists and bigots. So he's appealing to that part of it. So I think they've convinced themselves that, yes, Jews are, you know, that that Republicans hate Jews, they hate, you know, they're racist and all that. Um, And that's why they do the Jim Crow 2.0 and all this other nonsense. Some of them are cynical, but I think that many of the rank and file actually believe that they believe they believe that about the pe- their political opposition, and that's really a big problem in this country where we used to sort of be able to disagree without thinking the other side was evil or you know was going to commit transgenocide or hated Jews or all this other stuff that doesn't really happen. But I think a lot of people have convinced themselves of it. Probably, David. When we come back, you know, we mentioned uh, Ron DeSantis in a second. I want to ask you about the. The book banning story that keeps, I hear this, banning books. This has become a meme. It's all over the place. Let's address that. But but first, we have to address how people can get the best pillows imaginable. From my friend Mike Lindell and his team at MyPillow, they've got the 2.0 version of the product that started it all for them nearly 20 years ago. The MyPillow 2.0 has the patented adjustable fill of the original MyPillow, but now has brand new exclusive fabric that is made with temperature regulating thread. You're going to find this my pillow to be the softest, smoothest, coolest pillow you'll ever own. If you're tossing and turning at night a lot, flipping your pillow over, looking for that cool spot, those nights are over. My pillow 2.0 comes at a great deal right now. Buy one, get one free for a limited time when you use my name as the promo code Buck. The my pillow 2.0, made with temperature regulating technology, is 100% made in the USA. Go to my pillow 2.0. I'm sorry, mypillow.com is the website. Mypillow.com. Click on the radio listener special square. Get this uh, buy one, get one free offer on the MyPillow 2.0. Promo code Buck. That's MyPillow.com. Promo code Buck. You'll get buy one, get one free. Get the MyPillow 2.0. I've got them here at home on the bed. They're fantastic. All right. So they talk about book banning, but there's a problem with that, right? Which is there's actually no books that are banned. What is going on here? Well, the uh, last week or maybe a little before that, I went to a Barnes and Noble and I, you know, I see the book banned book table where you can buy the books that are are banned. Right. That's and it hit me that it's just a racket, you know, for the for, for booksellers, it's a racket like you know, Lord of the Flies is banned um, or, you know, whatever book. And all these books are bestsellers. Some of them are generational bestsellers and it just gets people buying them probably. And for the left politically, it's just a, it's a ideological racket. It's a, it's a way to smear people. Like after the Tennessee shooting in uh, Nashville shooting, uh, I saw a lot of leftists say they'll ban books in Tennessee, but not, you know, assault weapons. No book is banned. I can buy any book I want. They are curated as leftist administrators have been doing forever. Just because my books aren't in any school doesn't mean that they're banned. It means that they're not appropriate for kids to be reading, even though I think they are, but whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah, so 
they're not banned by in any sense of the word in the same way you can say gay in Florida without going to jail. You know, you can say gay, you can buy any book you want. Um, there are laws that basically prohibit, you know, obviously they're overzealous administrators and teachers and parents and stuff sometimes. But in general, you're trying to keep sexually you know, explicit books or violence or things that you don't want young people reading. And that seems perfectly reasonable to me if you're going to be in a state-run school. Um, again, I'm asking, I guess, to do a little bit of on-the-spot psychology, but I just have to wonder, the people who are going around saying that these books are banned, they have to know that that's a lie, but they say it anyway. Is there just a cognitive dissonance here? Like, they, you know... It's so easy, right? I mean, you were explaining how it actually works with, with curation. You know, when I was at my uh, my Jesuit high school, they made a decision, which I vehemently disagreed with, David, okay? I thought it was really, uh, really unfair that Maxim Magazine was not allowed in school during school hours. You know, all of a sudden now, I wasn't able to see, you know, Heidi Klum and uh, Letitia Casta and some of the greats of that era, as you may well recall. Um, I was not... Now, if I had gone outside the school and protested that there was an all-out ban on Maxim Magazine, people would have said that I was I was a clownish you know, imbecile because they're just saying you can't read this during school hours in a Jesuit, in a Jesuit high school. Um, so while I disagree with it, I knew that it wasn't a ban. I just don't believe that it's possible that these people who are talking about the book ban don't know that there's no ban. So then are they just mouthing the propaganda because it's an attack? And so it doesn't matter if the attack is true. The point is Ron DeSantis bad. I think partly that's it, but partly these people have convinced themselves that the state's not giving them something. It's being banned. I'll give you an example. A few years ago, we were debating, uh, you know, birth control and uh, leftists would say, the Republicans want to ban birth control or Republicans want to ban access to birth control. And what they meant was that the taxpayers would no longer be buying birth control and giving it to people. So to them, the state, because they view the state as, as the wellspring of all good things, if the state's not doing it, it's banning it or taking it away from someone. It's the same way, for instance, uh, when you let someone keep their own money who makes a lot of money, you're taking it from someone else. It's how, th th this is how they see the world. I don't mean, again, I'm sure there are people who are very cynical about it. But I think rank and file wise, they view the world that way because they just don't understand how the world's supposed to work, I guess. Um, you know, you're also, you, what was the name of your very excellent book again on firearms, David, for everybody at home? First Freedom. First Freedom. The ride Through. Yeah, yeah. No, go ahead. Say the whole title. That's why you're here. Ride Through America's History with the Gun. There kind of a go. cultural history. Yeah. So it's interesting to me because uh, obviously there was just a, there was a mass shooting recently at a school. And so now there's the, the whole gun control argument. It is remarkable to me how few people I hear talking about the, um, uh, the the problem that exists with the the pistol brace, you know, you know about this, right? The pistol brace phenomenon where you have tens of millions of these things have been sold and the ATF said they're fine. And now they were invented, if I recall, uh, by a former Marine, I think. And it was so that people who had a disability could shoot, um, you know, could shoot effectively even, you know, basically if they couldn't have a stock in their shoulder, this allowed them to have a brace on their arm. And so they could still use, say, an AR platform, something similar to that. Um, 
as of May 30th or 31st, whatever the last day of May is, the, if you don't register this thing or just give it up, you know, get rid of it, destroy it, you're a felon. So theoretically, there will be at least hundreds of thousands, maybe even a few million people that the Biden administration, by the fiat of a regulatory agency, turns into a felon just by doing what had been legal until the Biden administration came along. I mean, to me, this is this is a huge slap in the face to what law is supposed to be. I mean, it's the same guy who signs a piece of paper and says he's going to break contracts of people who borrow money for school and not have to pay it back because he says so, you know, he, he doesn't care. It's, you know, it's interesting with the guns because set aside all the specific stuff, the stuff they want to ban, I think it doesn't really matter to them. It's just incrementalism. Like if it's assault weapons, they'll go for that. The brace, they'll go for that. You know, uh, what was, there was something else they recently went, you know, it's just the aesthetics, they'll go after yeah, bump stocks, right? So, like, it. I think they're. It's just moving forward. They know that AR-15s are largely used, are rarely used in criminality. I mean, the vast majority of uh, gun crimes are committed with handguns of some sort. But these psychopaths who go into schools, you know, they like the aesthetics. They think of whatever it is, they use it. So they go after this because there's an emotional component. All their arguments are always emotional. There's never any reason to it. They constantly want to ban things that would probably not have stopped or in most cases would not have stopped the mass shooting that they're uh, using, again, cynically to try to pass some new law. I think I think an AR-15 ban would be unconstitutional. At some point, someone's going to take it to the Supreme Court. It is a gun in common use. It is not a, a, a more dangerous than most other guns. Some of the biggest mass murders have been occurred using, you know, nine millimeters or whatever, and it'll be overturned, you know, and then they'll just delegitimize the Supreme Court because it goes from one thing to the next. They just, you know, they're constantly. Yeah, coming. I mean, you mentioned uh, the use of pistols in mass shootings. Virginia Tech, which for a while, I believe, was the highest casualty school shooting of all time, uh, pistols and uh, Fort Hood, where I forget the full death count, but it was very it was high. Obviously, that shooting at uh, by that, you know, self-radicalized uh, lunatic uh, Al-Laki, uh, Anwar Al-Laki disciple. Um, those use pistols, but so I, I wanted to, to pose this to you. I mean, this is a theory I've talked about on radio. I think now that there's re- there are really two different, um, two different views within the Democrat party about any kind of gun legislation to your point about incrementalism. One is the people who are just, they've been, you know, it's, there's like a phobia indoctrination, right? They've just been so terrified. Guns are so bad. Guns are so scary. So anything we can do against the scary thing is good, irrespective of like all the existing laws. and That's there. But I also think there's a substantial portion for whom they know it will do nothing. Um, I think this would even be a majority of people pushing legislation in the Democrat Party, quite honestly. That's really what I'm going after here. They know it won't save any lives. They know it won't stop any violence. But it is a thumb in the eye of predominantly, not entirely, but predominantly, you know, white, male, Republican, rural gun owners who are going to have to give this thing up or they're going to have to wait five more days. They're going to have to go through. They know that's all that it does. And they're happy with that. Yeah. I think that most of these laws, they real, I love, you know, after the shooting, they were talking about permits, permits in Florida, right? Like how could we have, how could people be able to have a loaded gun without a permit? What mass shooters like, Oh my God, I got to go get a permit before I go murder 15 people. Like it is just, it makes no sense. It is aimed at law abiding citizens. 
wait longer. Don't be able, you know, you're not able, they don't want you to sell a gun to your family or give a gun to your family member or sell a gun to your friend. They, you know, that's why they want universal background checks. They just want to make it harder on regular people, like you say, who own firearms in this country, and there are many of them. But I also want to just quickly mention one thing on the AR-15 ban. They keep, how can I say this? making the AR-15 into this super weapon that can kill tons of people, that blows up inside you, you know, a kid when you yes. shoot them and stuff like this. They, they, they are actually making the gun sound, you know, like this super weapon. And then they're, then they're surprised when a mass shooter gets an AR-15. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's a good weapon. It's used for self-defense. It's easy to shoot all that. But, you know, I just think that, that, Maybe some of the, you know, maybe they should think about if they really cared, which sometimes I wonder, they should think about what they're doing when they mythologize or whatever this kind of gun. Have you ever seen, I mean, this is one area where, to me, this is, this is almost like the people who wear, I know these are different issues, but the people who insist on wearing masks alone in their car while driving, that I've never seen a rational defense of that of any kind i've literally never read or heard anyone say this is going to stop you from getting um a, a virus i have heard people say it's not about it has nothing to do with the virus it's showing a willingness to comply and it shows your desire to like be a team player in the face of the virus right so it is which is basically a fancy way of saying it is straight up virtue signaling gun-free zones that are schools right? Gun-free zones at, at all schools across the country. Is there even a defense of this policy? I mean, to your point about mass shooters or bad people, bad people, criminals in general, do not care that it is a gun-free zone. In fact, there's pretty ample evidence in a, in a lot of different cases, you've got to point to the specific ones, that they'll choose gun-free zones as places to go because they know that they won't be challenged with a firearm. Is there any serious defense of that policy that you can, I, I'm, I'm asking you honestly that, no, no one answers me. I ask this question all the time. What does a gun-free zone do? It does nothing. It disarms people who could defend themselves. It, it, it has zero purpose other than to let people know this is a soft target. I think the Nashville, I don't know for sure about this, but I think that Nashville shooter, or they say that 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 uh, she had another target in mind, but you know there were too many. Armed, too many th- I, I've heard this too. It is unconfirmed, just to be clear, but there were early reports. And as you see this, uh, or listen to this episode, the manifesto may have come out. We may know more, just to be very clear. Um, but there, there were early reports that she was going to target a different school, but that school had an armed resource officer, and she knew that because she actually surveilled the targets. Right. So I get a lot of blowback when I say I think teachers should be armed, or rather I think teachers should be able to arm themselves. I cannot think of a better use of the Second Amendment than saying to a teacher, you get to defend these children yourself, this school, in this community. But yet people go bananas over it like it's like it's radical and crazy to say this. I just, to me, arming schools either with that or hiring vets or whatever it is, arming a school makes all the sense in the world to me. Yeah, what... Again, because you, you you write and 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 analyze in this realm a lot, what is the counter argument to the armed resource officer and or ability of not you know I don't want a teacher with you know horrible vision, no familiarity with firearms, no interest in ever using a firearm even in defense of himself or herself to carry. Obviously, right? But there are teachers who spend a lot of time at the range. There are teachers who themselves are former law enforcement, former military, like that exists as well. You know, plenty of, I'm sure there are plenty of 
high school football coaches and plenty of people in the, you know, in the academic community more broadly who have, you know, the former Marines, right? If they want to carry on a school grounds, what is the counter argument? Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to compel anyone. Like you say, I don't want to compel people to have guns. They should be able to do to defend themselves. Um, I, the, they always say it's guns are the problem. There's already too many guns. You know, we, you know, uh, you know, they will, won't be trained. So let's get them training. They, you know, they won't be, you know, how many lives will they really save? I don't know. They don't have good arguments. They don't even, honestly, these people don't even want to debate. You're on, I know it's Twitter, whatever you're on social media, you approach someone and you ask them a question, they block you. <laughs> you know what I mean? They don't want to engage in any kind of debate because they have a very emotion, emotional argument. And listen, part of it is emotional. This, these, these, these events are horrible. Um, but uh, they don't really give you straight answers to the questions you're asking. They're very good questions. I wish someone would answer them. It's I just, just don't see a there can, there can be part at a school. Yeah, it just it just seems crazy that there can be every time this sort of thing happens, there's this push, and and yet there's no foundation for the argument that's being made, and they don't even try, and they don't care. And if you won't go along, they just shout louder at you. Um, because I, I also think that ultimately, so now I'm getting really, I'm doing a little bit of like psychology of their side here, David, but you can tell me if you can tell me if you think this is a little, little too much. I think, I mean, I'll, I'll disagree with you, obviously, because I think that way. I think that they like to believe that Republicans are so monstrous that they don't care about kids being shot in schools. They'd rather take NRA money, whatever that means. Like, I think that they like that narrative. So that's part of what this is. It's just a way of saying you're the evil bad people. And it, the argument about firearms and the Second Amendment is irrelevant. That's not it's what you're saying is not even debatable. Of course, they many of them. Well, there we that. go. I get I get. Yeah, I get like, uh, you know, basically the, with with great ease, they will say that NRA is a terrorist organization. You care more about guns than dead children. I mean, I get this all the time from people. You, you This is not some you don't have to be a, a psychiatrist to to delve deep in there. They say it. Um, and then what they do, which bothers me and the reason part of the reason I wrote that book was because then they retro, they go back and, and, and write a new revisionist history of what the Second Amendment is, how guns were you know, how many people had guns in this country and all that stuff. It's just all made up. They're like, oh, well-regulated, well-regulated. You know, they're constantly pushing myths about guns. If you don't like the Second Amendment, there's a way to overturn it. If everyone agrees with you, which they always tell me, everyone agrees with us about guns, overturn the Second Amendment. You, it can be done. And then you can do what you like. But right now we do have one and you can't do what you want. You can't ban guns. And that is the long game here for them, in my opinion. We're going to come back here in a second, David, and talk about the <clears throat> realities that Donald Trump faces here of the legal system being, I think, very openly and obviously weaponized against him. We'll get back to that in a moment. Born from the tragedy of 9-11, the Tunnel to Towers Foundation has been honoring America's heroes ever since. The foundation honors fallen and severely injured heroes and their families with mortgage-free homes. This year alone, hundreds of Gold Star and fallen first responder families with young children and our nation's most severely injured veterans and first responders are receiving homes. More than 500 homeless veterans received housing and services last year, and more than 1,500 are receiving housing and services this year. This coming Memorial Day, all of the brave men and women lost since 9-11 in the War on Terror are having their names read aloud in a Tunnel to Towers ceremony in our nation's capital. Through the Tunnel to Towers 9-11 Institute, the foundation is educating kids in kindergarten through 12th grade about our nation's darkest day. 
Join Taunt the Towers on its mission to do good. Please help America to never forget its greatest heroes. Join me in donating $11 a month to Taunt the Towers at T2T.org. That's T, the number two, T.org. So, so David, I have a proposition for you. Um, I'm reminded right now of this moment in time uh, that during the Trump administration, it became standard among journalists to say, we effectively, we are no longer journalists in the sense of people that report and bring you facts. To be a journalist is to be anti-Trump because that is what the truth must be, right? Remember, there, there were variations on that argument. That was what, 2016 to 2020, they were openly saying that the truth is anti-Trump, therefore you must be anti-Trump to bring you the truth. It was this like, you know, this circular argument that justified everything they wanted to do. I think we're seeing something similar to that with prosecutors now in the legal system. Yeah, it reminds me, journalism is a good analogy, not an analogy. I think the whole anti-Trump movement. And again, that doesn't mean you have to be pro-Trump. I mean, people who are willing to break every norm, who don't care about, uh, you know, the Constitution, who don't care about uh, spreading misinformation about elections and conspiracy theories to win. Uh, They dropped all their supposed norms. They became worse than Trump in every way imaginable to stop Trump. And part of that is weaponizing the legal system, going after a president over a seven year year old campaign finance uh, charge misdemeanor. uh, As far as I know right now, I haven't seen exactly what the charges are, but that's what it seems to be about. And then making the biggest deal imaginable imaginable out, out of it. And I... I don't want to be a conspiracy theorist myself, but sometimes I think they're trying to elevate him and make him more popular so that he'll run for president because they think they can beat him uh, over DeSantis. I mean, that's sort of what it looks like to me. I, I doubt people are playing 3D chess. Maybe it's all in my mind. It usually is. But that's what they're doing effectively. Right. And uh, and the idea, the gall to start talking about how no one's above the law after what we saw with Hillary Clinton, who uh, Comey let off where there was just a mountain of evidence showing she was guilty of felonies, not of misdemeanors, uh, is just and, and others as well. It's just a joke. And it also strikes me that the Hunter Biden phenomenon, it's so funny. You've probably seen this a few times, right, where people, you know, Democrats will rush to the defense of, of Hunter Biden on something to say, um, you know, it's not a crime to take money because people want to talk to your dad. And then everyone piles on and says, well, Smoking crack and buying a handgun while you're a crack user and taking millions of dollars that you hide in LLCs and from the Chinese and don't declare and don't pay taxes. Like there's a lot of crimes that Hunter Biden 100 percent is committed. And we're just supposed to think like no big deal. Nothing's going to happen. And also, and also, you know. Sometimes corruption isn't criminal and there's plenty, it looks like there's plenty of corruption there, but yeah, you're right. But, but do you notice how they say, you know, they talk about Stormy Daniels, is that her name? Yeah. You know, how she, how she was given hush money. There's nothing illegal about signing, you know, giving someone hush money. We, we, many of us worked in places where we're not allowed to talk about what goes there. We sign contracts. We are, you know, you can pay people for that if you want, whatever. There's nothing wrong with that, but they create, they frame it as some kind, something that is much worse than it is. Now, I, long before Trump, have been against these campaign finance laws completely because I think they undermine the First Amendment in all kinds of ways. But this basically is a is a bookkeeping uh, uh, crime, right? So, it, it's a misdemeanor. Most so people get pay a fine, and that's it. This is another, again, another argument where I don't, 
you know, I, I can sit here and with Democrats, like we could, I could sit here with a Democrat and we could argue over what the capital gains tax rate should be, right? I mean, we could really, ha- we could have that debate. You know, why should it be favored? But, but it's a, there's real arguments. I, I would have my side that I would think is correct, but we're getting into this realm where they're not, you know, on the, on the gun-free zone school thing, for example. There's no argument. They, they're all for no argument for that. And on this one, if Trump had done what they're prosecuting him for not doing, which is if he had paid off Stormy Daniels with campaign funds, that would clearly be a criminal use of campaign funds. You know what I mean? Like, so the thing that they're prosecuting him for not doing is illegal the same way that the thing that they're prosecuting, or rather that they would have been able to prosecute him for, for doing. He was damned if he did, damned if he didn't. You see what I'm saying? Like, it makes no sense that he was supposed to report this as a campaign expense because if it was a campaign expense, he could have had a fundraiser, taken money from a fundraiser, Trump, you know, 2020 for or Trump 2016 for president, and paid Stormy Daniels ten million dollars with that money. Two things. One is my my problem with this, just as my problem with the the, the press going so hard after Trump all the time, not the lies, just going after him hard, is that I'm not actually opposed to that. I'm not actually opposed to going after a president on on legal stuff. I'm opposed to only going after one president, only going after one party all the time. I think all presidents basically should be impeached, but they don't do that. They go after the Republican. Like, you know, that's what bothers me. But moreover, I just want to quickly say this. Think about where this all started. It started with Trump is a agent of of Putin. Putin, He's a a traitor. And we end up with a seven-year-old bookkeeping misdemeanor against him. And they celebrate it like they've like they've uncovered Watergate, like this is Nixon. Did you see, I mean, CNN is, is, it has footage of the plane landing and the plane taking off and all of this. It, they need him so badly for ratings, it's not even funny. You know, I mean, they need him so bad. So I think the same way that they often said that Trump supporters, they always accuse Trump supporters of being in a cult and there are books, you know, a lot of books, you know, the Trump cult and all this stuff. I actually do believe that there is a cult of anti-Trumpism, as in that there are a lot of people for whom everything that they know and have known their whole adult lives about politics, about the law, about common sense, when it comes to this individual, somehow no long, no longer applies, right? Like, like everything that we would, you know, it is impossible to make a good faith argument to me that prosecuting a president under such a flimsy pretext doesn't kick open Pandora's box in a massive way for future nonsense like this, other prosecutors, other things. And yet people that you would think are somewhat, somewhat, I guess, reasonable or serious on other issues are in favor of this. They're like, yeah, go get him. Yeah, they just I don't know what they think. I think they don't care that that it'll be turned on them. And this has gone on since Trump first began running. They think they can do whatever they want. And when Republicans do it, they'll just pretend it's a, you know, it's uh, it's fascism. I'll give you an example. The laws passed on the banned books and the stuff we were talking about in the schools. The left has you have used those laws and those that those powers forever. That's how they set all kinds of school agendas. But when Republicans do it, it's immediately fascism. This is how they work. So I think they don't see it that way. As far as the cult stuff, a thousand percent. Like, first of all, 
it's not as if people, if liberals ran around being critical of Barack Obama or run around being critical of Joe Biden. They're in the same kind of cult as Trump supporters are in. You know, maybe I think maybe Trump is because of his personality garners more or did more loyalty. But look now, there's a big break within Republicans. Some support DeSantis, some support Trump. That's a kind of thing that shows that it's not any kind of cult. Can, like, can I just, you know, I mean, Barack, yeah. to your point, Barack Obama won a Nobel Peace Prize for getting elected. That's a real thing. Right. Yeah, exactly. Which they, is they embarrassing. Yeah, and then the Nobel Committee yeah. should be embarrassed forever about, although then again, Arafat, there's some, there's some other bad ones too. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, for years, Barack Obama, there would be these, you know, stories where they put halos or, you know, pictures, they put halos around him and write about him as he was some messianic figure, you know. So, I mean, th- this happens with every president. I don't like it. I don't like it at all. But um, I think that within the Republican Party, like, you know, I debate with like na- national conservative types all the time. Like there, there are debates on the right. There are very few of those on the left. The, the, the central mainstream left has moved to where the progressive left is. They're, they're just talking about how much money they want to spend is a little bit off. But their goals are exactly the same. Take abortion. It began with, they, you know, there was a moderate middle of the road position in the Democratic Party. Now it's nine months, you know, do what you want whenever you want. And uh, you can go on and on issue after issue. So I don't by their narrative. And again, I'm not a Trump fan, but they make people defend Trump because they act in authoritarian ways to try to bring down this supposed, you know, dictator. He's not even president now, right? He's not doing anything to anyone. He's running and they're still doing this stuff. So we'll see how, you know, he's going to be found innocent. Then what, then what are they going to say about, about it? Right. I mean, let's say he's found innocent of the charges. Let's say he fights it. What are they going to say? We're going to say, yeah, this is what the law, you know, the law, obviously, you said follow the law. You said no one's above justice and he's innocent. Will they admit he's innocent? Of course not. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carvin and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose Podcast. On Purpose is dedicated to helping you be happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how he got comfortable with fear 
navigating the changes in relationships, and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. This conversation shows a never-seen-before side to Orlando Bloom and his unique life journey. I think we all struggle sometimes to really deeply believe that we are enough, that we're valued, that we're valuable. You know, we're imprinted by our parents from the age of zero to seven, right? Mm. I'm constantly trying to go like, how do I detach from my from this idea of what do, is that? Is that my baggage? I look like my baggage. I mean, I know. Oh, okay, that's mine. Let's unpack that. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, it will never stop. And also, I think that, uh, um, well, do you think that there will be other prosecutions? Georgia, the feds, Jack Smith, special counsel. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, if they're moving forward, and again, I'm not saying there's some concerted effort here. I don't know who Alvin Bragg speaks to or doesn't speak to or if he cares, but if they're going after him on this, why wouldn't they go after him on those Georgia charges, which I think are kind of ridiculous as well. But um, yeah, they'll keep going after him. I mean, they impeached him twice. They'll keep going after him and after him. And if DeSantis, let's say, somehow wins the nomination, they'll go after him the same way. You already see articles saying how he's worse than Trump because he's smarter than Trump, because he's, you know, yeah, smoother than Trump. He's more, you know, he knows what he's doing, you know, with government better than Trump. I mean, so it's, it's like how they used to hate, you know, uh, they always hate the, the, the worst Republicans, always the newest one and the old one they'll give grudging respect to as you move forward. You know, one day they'll be like, yeah, you know, Trump wasn't that bad compared to that DeSantis, you know. Um, I don't know. That's what it seems like to me. No, it's ab- absolutely uh, the case. D- do you think that at, at some level, do Democrats recognize that the whole Joe Biden thing? I mean, I, I would argue that. Uh, Fetterman, who I know has just come out of the hospital, he says he's been hospitalized for depression for, I don't know, almost two months or something, that when you put somebody who had a stroke in a serious medical condition and clearly is not medically capable of really doing any job that requires intensive thought and, and serious consideration of, of complex issues, um, that if they'll, if they'll push Fetterman forward, and they did, then it's no problem to push Joe Biden forward for a second term, which is why I thought Biden is going to be, I thought the whole time he's going to be there uh, their second term uh, guy, and he's going to run for reelection. Um, but do you think at some level there's a recognition of just the 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 absurdity of Joe Biden in his best days was a not a very bright guy, a not a very nice guy, and not a very ethical guy. And now on top of that, he really is somebody who like needs round the clock care in a senior's home. Yeah, I mean, if I think if there was some alternative who they thought could win, they would move in that direction. But I don't think there is one right now for Democrats that I can think of. Maybe Newsom, but I don't. I think they overestimate how, how that plays around the country. So Biden's the man. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I think they must know. They must know that he's incompetent. They must have known that he was a blowhard and not very intelligent to begin uh, with. I just, I, you know, I just bring it up yeah. because with the Trump thing, they hate Trump so much. There's always this part of me that wants to point and be like, and this Joe Biden? This is your answer? Like, this is the best you guys can do? It, it really is kind of mind-blowing. I think because he exudes or, pe- or maybe he's thought of as a moderate sort of old-timey because of how he, you know, because he's old and all that. Yeah. But honestly, he has no principles. There is literally, and I've challenged people to give me one issue where he's been consistent from beginning to end in his career. What, what issue has he not flipped on to wherever, you know, he thinks that, you know, that will, you know, we'll get him yeah, elected. Yeah, wherever the most he, juice for the squeeze is. Yeah, totally. 
Exactly. So from abort, you know, he was like pro One day he said he was for, what was that amendment called? The Hyde Amendment, right? During the election, there was some blowback on Twitter. The next day he comes out, he says he's against the Hyde Amendment. That's like 45 years of politics that he just threw in the garbage because he thought he needed to say something else. So, but here's the thing about him being old and every, and I, I get it. And everyone's all, all over, you know, all over that. But here's the thing. I don't like to give him a pass because he was terrible before this. He was not yeah. bright before this. He was a liar before this. He was a fabulous from the beginning. Um, so I can't believe that a guy who was mentored by segregationists has the gall to go out there and talk about civil rights movement like he does, or, you know, who was basically a social conservative gets to talk about Christians the way he does. Um, but that's what politics is today. I think it's all about power and they don't really care who's there as long as they get to run uh, the White House. David, where should folks go to follow you and uh, read your latest columns? Uh, Federalist.com is where most of my stuff is and they can follow me on Twitter at David Harsani. Um, hopefully, you know, I hate being on there, but I am on there. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm the same. It's a toxic um, place to be these days, right? David, uh, a, a very a good friend and colleague, a, a colleague of mine in the business once described, uh, David, I thought this is a great description, as gutsy in his writing, but not showy about it, which I thought you'd appreciate. <laughs> so, you know, not like trying to get, you know, undue attention, just gutsy in what he writes. David, thanks so much. For, yeah. yeah, thanks so much for being with us, man. Appreciate it. We'll see you soon. Anytime. Thank you. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie. Because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to More Than a Movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast.